You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. This morning I want to share a message from my heart from Exodus chapter 6. I want to minister a message entitled, What God is Like. This is what God is like. Three weeks ago, my father-in-law passed away, which I've shared about already. But it's in these seasons of loss or in difficulty, in seasons of grieving, in seasons of tribulation, I've learned to lean into what I know is true about God, about truly what I know he is like. There is this reality in the, in the Christian life, which is the mystery of God, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of faith, which is good. Mystery is not bad in this Christian life. And we don't like mystery, but I would actually encourage you that mystery is the antidote for your boredom and your apathy and your faith. Mystery is what stokes childlikeness in this, this heart of worship. Mystery is what we encounter as we really worship the Lord with that sort of high praise and we see him in his majesty and his beauty. What it does is it invokes in us this sense of the mystery and the awe and the wonder of God. But I've noticed in seasons of grief or in loss, tragedy, trial, tribulation, I don't have as much capacity for the mystery and instead I have to lean into what God is like. What I know God it, what, true, what he truly is like, what I can rest assured and have confidence in regarding his character. So I want to speak to you about that this morning. The way in which God has sovereignly chosen to reveal himself and his character to us throughout human history. Because that, that wasn't haphazard. God's revealing of his nature and his character has not been haphazard. It's not been whimsical. It's been purposeful. It's been very pointed and him revealing aspects of what he is like to humanity that we can take to the bank, that we can rest assured is true and faithful, as Paige shared earlier, at the end of time, this banner over this, this one riding on the white horse that is faithful and true. And much of the way in which God has revealed himself to be like is through his names. Throughout the the redemptive story. God has sovereignly chosen to give us names to, to point us to his character and to his nature. It's not that God has split personalities or different personas. As much as he wants you to know aspects of his character that he fully embodies, aspects of his nature. It's like nicknames in our culture. You can call me this, or you can call me that at camp, the boys were having a blast uh, coming up with nicknames. In our cabin, we had C-Money. We had T-Bone. One of the boys wanted to be called Bone Crusher. My fellow uh, counselor, Juan, they, the, the boys called him Juan Kenobi. Another kid wanted to be called Slim Dog. So if you had a boy at camp, you can try to figure out which of those nicknames embody your son. But those were the nicknames they came up with. Because we, we throw that out to say, hey, this is who I am, or this is what I am like. I want to be known like this. In a very real way, that's what God has done in his redemptive, not, not with silly nicknames, but 
In a real way, God has said, this is what I am like. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I'm not distant, I am with you. And so we see this progression of the revealing of God to humanity in the redemptive story that's so beautiful. And my prayer is that it would ground you in in regards to whatever trial you're facing, whatever difficulty you're walking through, it ground you in what you can know to be true about the character and the nature of God. This is what God is like. This is what you can count on. This is what you can build your life on. This is the life that Jesus himself revered and and called the life of wisdom, to build your life on this solid foundation of the revealed revelation and then give your life to that revealed revelation, to truth. So there will always be mystery, and mystery is not bad. I actually encourage you to embrace mystery. But there's seasons where I've learned that I just don't have as much capacity for mystery, and instead I have to get on my knees and cling to what I know to be true. So let's look at Exodus chapter six. This is at the very beginning of the Exodus story. God has revealed himself to a criminal, an 80-year-old criminal exile in the, the, the Midianite wilderness in Exodus chapter three, if you're familiar with the story. This guy living life on the run who God has his hand upon Moses' life, but here he is in his, in his 80s and the Lord encounters him. So there is, there is no excuse. God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of your background, your mistakes, here in the case of Moses here, or in, in regards to your age. The Lord's not putting anybody out to pasture. The Lord has an assignment for you and a call upon your life, regardless of your age. So in Exodus chapter three, you're familiar with the, the story of the, the burning bush. Moses turns aside and sees this, this phenomenon of a bush that doesn't burn. It's burning brightly, but it doesn't ever go out. He has this encounter with the I am. And he gives, us, gives Moses this assignment to go before Pharaoh. You, a criminal exile, go before Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to release his free labor of the Israelites. So it's a daunting task. It's a daunting assignment. But this is the assignment given to Moses. And so right prior to Exodus chapter 6, Moses has his first uh, attempt at telling Pharaoh what to do and stands before Pharaoh and tells him, let my people go. And it completely backfires on Moses. Rather than Pharaoh saying, oh, of course, yeah, it's a great idea, Moses. Here, let's, I'll just let the, the 1.2 million uh, Israelite slave, uh, free slave labor, I'll, I'll let them go. He actually makes it harder for the Israelites. He says, no, rather I'm gonna make it more difficult for you. I'm not gonna give them a day of rest anymore and I'm also gonna take away their straw. They have to go and gather their own straw and they have to maintain the same quotas. So here Moses, already already knowing it was a daunting task, seems to be up against an even more daunting task as now he doesn't even have the backing of his own elders and of his own people. His own people are now turning against him. And so here in Exodus chapter six, we see the Lord charging Moses afresh with this assignment. And he reveals something so beautiful about his character, and that's what I wanna minister to your heart this morning. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, 
and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So he says, listen up. What I said was going to happen, it will happen. And in fact, Pharaoh will, will let them go swiftly with a strong hand. Like it will be resolute. He will say, get out of here, you Israelites, get out of here. So God makes it very clear that there is no plan B. This is his plan A, to deliver his people. Verse two, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, by my, by, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So this is the essence of the progression of God revealing himself to humanity. In prior generations, God had made clear that he was El Shaddai, Almighty God, the God of might and power, the creator of the universe as judge, as the powerful one. And he made that clear to Abraham. He made that very clear to Isaac and to Jacob. But what they didn't, what prior generations didn't know about God was this aspect of him as Yahweh, as deliverer, as redeemer. And he says, to you, Moses, to, and to, 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 to the people of Israel in this generation, I want to make myself known as redeemer, as deliverer. So it's not that that aspect of God didn't exist in prior generations. It was there all along. So again, this is, this is not like separate personas or split personalities about God that are at odds with each other. No, they're all encompassing. God is El Shaddai. He is mighty. He is powerful. And he is deliverer. He is redeemer. But prior generations, they didn't have the same grace to experience this revelation of what God is like. And he says, to you, Moses... I'm going to reveal this aspect of my character. The, the name of Yahweh is going, to be, uh, is going to invade this generation. As prior generations had, had not experienced, I'm going to make myself known to you. So it's not that prior generations, most scholars um, believe that prior generations knew the name Yahweh. It's not that that name was foreign to them. But, but God is telling Moses that to them, they didn't understand the fullness of the character that was embodied in that name, Yahweh. Instead, more, more clearly, God as deliver, I mean, God as a judge, as powerful creator, as mighty God, was made very clear to them. So verse four, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they, they lived as sojourners. So God in uh, in his might and his power as El Shaddai, he was their provider. He called them out to establish them as a people, as these, these ones who would someday inherit a land. Moreover, I heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. The key word in God revealing himself as Yahweh is tied to covenant. He is faithful. He doesn't go back on his word. He's faithful to his word. And when he covenants himself with the people, he will stay true to his word. Verse six, say therefore to the, to, to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, I'm the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from, from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm of great acts of judgment. So they will 
be responsible for, for the revelation of God as redeemer in this generation, the generation of Moses, and obviously for all generations that follow. We will all be responsible to respond to this revelation of God as redeemer, this one who made it very clear through the 10 plagues, through the, the crossing of the Red Sea, that God is our redeemer. He is our deliverer, the one who delivers us from the superpower of the day, from slavery, being enslaved and in bondage, he delivers. Verse seven, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You will know me as Yahweh, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. He's making that very clear. He's established the foundation of the revelation of him as El Shaddai. Now he's saying, I'm Yahweh. He's repeating it time and time again. I am Yahweh. I am Redeemer. I am Deliverer. That's who I am. This is the story that I've been writing from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to now. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. There is something about bondage that does something to the human spirit to squash us. It makes it almost impossible for us to see life in any other light. And for those that have been bound by addictions, that have been bound by, by chronic uh, sin issues, they know what this verse points to. This human experience of a broken spirit and harsh slavery, being beaten down and being subjected to, to a master. Verse 10, and well, so in that spirit, it makes it hard for us to see things in any other light. And that's what it was for the people of Israel. They'd been so beaten down for 400 years. It's hard for them to, to believe in the character, the nature of God as redeemer, as deliverer. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, go in again. Get back in the batter's box, okay? You already were in there once. Yes, things turned out worse, but go in again. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. So my own people won't listen to me. How, Lord, am I supposed to stand before Pharaoh and convince him? Moses was still wrapped up in himself. He was still thinking about this deliverance thing, this uh, re redemption plan working because of him. At least he was honest. At least he was honest about the condition of his, of his life as an instrument before the Lord. He says, my lips are uncircumcised. They're, they're not truly set apart for you yet. They're not fully devoted to your ways. I love the honesty of Moses. Verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, we don't know exactly what he spoke to them in this portion, but he gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of Israel and out of the land of Egypt. So again, the Lord patiently woos them with this aspect of his character as Yahweh, as deliverer, as redeemer. And it finally cuts to Moses' heart, to Aaron's heart, enough to have the boldness and the courage and the gall to stand before Pharaoh again. 
So Lord, the Lord in his sovereign wisdom has chosen to reveal himself as mighty God, but here as deliverer and redeemer. We see in the story of, uh, of Abraham's life that God reveals himself in Genesis 21 as El Shaddai, the mighty God through the birth of Isaac. An impossible situation, Abraham being promised a son, but well into uh, his elderly years, being gifted with the birth of his son, Isaac. God is El Shaddai. God as provider, as the powerful, mighty God. Isaac, his son, almost repeats the same story because Rebekah, his wife, is also barren. In Genesis 25, God miraculously provides a son. This testimony of God as El Shaddai, as mighty God, being established from generation to generation, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob, who God called Israel and became the father of a nation, the one who has this encounter with God, who wrestles with God, who sees angels descending and ascending from heaven. This is El Shaddai. This is mighty God. And my prayer is that each and every one of you would, each and every one in our church family would know God as El Shaddai, as the mighty God, the one who provides the one who is able, who there, the, who, uh, the one to whom there is no impossible situation as it's in alignment with his will. He's the God of the impossible. One of my heroes, C.T. Studd, said, we can trust God too little, but we can't trust God too much. That is El Shaddai, is to have a confidence and a trust in the character and the nature of God's power and might and ability to follow his, or to, to follow through on his word. So that was established for Moses. It was almost like his inheritance, stepping into his moment in human history. His inheritance was the revelation of God as El Shaddai. This now, Revelation 2.0, was God revealing himself as Yahweh, as Redeemer. Yahweh means the self-existent one, the one who is present. As he reveals himself in Exodus chapter 3, he says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He is the I am, the present one, the one who is able to redeem us, to come where we are and to redeem us out of that horrific situation. I believe in order for us to understand the the significance of the Lord as Redeemer, as, as Deliverer, we have to understand the severity of the situation that he rescues us out of. It's hard for us to appreciate this revelation of what God is like if we don't first understand the depravity of our situation, of our slavery. But there is something so blinding about slavery. There's something so dire about slavery and about the human condition. But it's, it's grappling with that and realizing that that opens our eyes to realize the significance of God as redeemer, as deliverer. Israel's situation in Exodus chapter three you know, and, and on is only getting more dire by the day. They had been in slavery now for 400 years. So this whole idea of them being an autonomous people, of being a sovereign people, of being a people unto the Lord was becoming like a pipe dream. I mean, it was becoming like a, a faint distant memory. It seemed like it would never happen. And there were, I believe there was something about the, the task of which they were enslaved 
that made it even worse. They had the most undignified, grueling task of being brick, uh, brick makers for Pharaoh, all the, the successive Pharaoh's big building projects. Brick making was not light work, it was grueling, it was exhausting. One scholar described it like this. These areas of brick making, they have a dark otherworldly presence to them because of the dust and the smoke that, that, um, that hang constantly in the air, coating everything within the walls of this gray red dust and soot. So you can see the people of Israel like covered in this dust and red soot from, from the bricks constantly. This is like what they were born into and this is all they know of in their existence as a people. The kilns require extra labor because someone has to stoke the charcoal first to constantly keep them at their optimum temperature. This is one of the worst jobs in an operation defined by awful jobs. So you got a really bad job of brick making, but the worst of those jobs is being the one that has to constantly be stoking the charcoal excruciatingly hot, dirty, and sticky, the workers covered with charcoal dust that mixes with, with the dust of the clay and the dirt until sweat-soaked skin begins to harden and crack. This is their lot that they're born into. Before the bricks are ready for the kiln, they must be shaped and pre-dried in the sun. All day long, slaves perform the back-breaking labor of packing wet clay and straw into the molds that form the bricks. They slap the clay into the molds, forming row after row, then other workers, usually children, carry the bricks on their heads to set them out in the sun to dry. When they're dry enough to fire, the, sl- the slaves carry them to the kiln to be baked. Hour after hour, day after day, weeks that flow into months, months that fade into years. And some of these slaves have been at this dirty, tedious, painful work for decades with no relief in sight. This is the condition of their depravity and their hopeless situation that Moses is, is being used by the Lord to, to, to bring this revelation of God as deliver. It's hopeless. And so Moses, in bringing this revelation of what God is like, has a lot stacked up against him. There is this sense that there's a delay in the action of God. And the same is true for many of us as we face trials and difficulties, for myself as we grieve loss, There can be this sense that God is delaying in his action, that God is not answering his promise. It can result in a crushed and a broken spirit like the people of Israel. Moses also had stacked up against him people that are unresponsive. Sometimes in pursuing the promises of God, you feel like you're going alone. You feel like no one else is is responding to the promise of God. Like maybe you have had the faith to respond as you feel like you're going alone. Moses had all that stacked up against him. A delay in the action of God, broken and crushed spirits, and unresponsive people. But the Lord has spoken despite all that. The Lord, by his grace, opened up the eyes of Moses, opened up the eyes of Aaron to see him as redeemer, to see him as the deliverer. This is the way of God. And I, I guess what I've been resting in these last couple weeks 
has been the kindness of the Lord to reveal with certainty, with a surety of what he is like as redeemer, yes, as powerful, mighty God, but as redeemer. And so then in our day, in our generation, in the 21st century, what are we gifted with? We're gifted with so much more than a revelation of God as mighty, as El Shaddai, and so much more than God as Yahweh, as Redeemer. We have been gifted with the revelation of God as Jesus himself, as the the, the incarnate God, the Christ man, the one who came for us on our behalf, who, who is the outstretched arm of God to deliver us out of our bondage and our slavery. We have been gifted with the revelation of God as Emmanuel, God with us. And for that, we have a responsibility to respond. We have a responsibility to respond to the revelation that's been given to us. Jesus understood the moment in which he stepped into human history, into the redemptive story, that this was an upgrade of revelation that would be a gift to all of human history. There was no question in Jesus about who he was He came boldly declaring in all four gospels that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God. Mark chapter 14, most scholars would agree it's the first of the four gospels written. When asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus says, I am. Sounds very similar to Exodus chapter three. I am that I am. Well, Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He is the one. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Moses. And you will see me seated at the right hand of power in the the age to come. In John chapter 14, Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, if you've known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And Philip said, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This was Revelation 3.0, Revelation upgraded of what God is like. So do you want to know what God is like? Look at the person of Jesus. This is not a a downplay on the old covenant. I'm saying you even now read the old covenant through the lens of the revealed nature of God in the person of Jesus. I'm going to ask Scott to come forward to the keys so we can respond to the Lord. But in these days of doubt or questioning or discouragement, or what, have, or what have you, I rest assured of the revelation that we've been given in the person of Jesus. There's much that I do not understand in this life. There's much that I walk through and that I face. And I know as a church family, there's individuals that are, that are in the, a fight for their life. And it can raise all sorts of questions and doubts. But as I look to Jesus, my soul is put to rest. My, my soul is, is brought to this place of unshakable peace. I recently came across this Psalm 77 verse 10 where the psalmist 
Asaph says, I will appeal to the days of the right hand of the Most High. You know what those days are? Those are the days of Jesus. He says, I will appeal. He's saying this prophetically. I'm going to appeal to this day when the right hand of the Most High is revealed. The right hand of God revealing his authority and his power and his strength. Where is that seen most clearly? It's, it's seen most clearly in the person of Jesus. You want to have a confidence in the authority and the certainty of God, the trustworthiness of God, look to the person of Jesus. So even in these last couple days and couple weeks, I've been appealing to the days of the right hand of the Most High. The days in which we live, when the revelation of God is made crystal clear for us. I feel like the people of Israel, they had it much harder. They had it much worse. They had a lesser revelation in a dire situation. Many of us have difficult, even dire situations, but the revelation of God has been so crystal clear in the person of Jesus, the character of God. Exodus chapter six, verse six, God gives him this promise. He says, I'm Yahweh and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will deliver you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. The great acts of judgment being the the 10 plagues that followed. But that is the way of the Lord that was made very crystal clear through the person of Jesus. Jesus is the outstretched arm of God reaching down into humanity to deliver us and to redeem us out of our slavery, to redeem us from our hopeless situation, to pull us out of the pit. Psalm 113 says that he pulls us out from the ashes. He, he takes the poor from the dust, the needy from the ashes, and he places us with princes. He makes us sit with royalty in his kingdom. It's the extravagant love of God revealed in the person of Jesus. If you'd all stand to your feet, I want us to respond to the Lord. I quoted this last week, but Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Like the the most clear revelation of what God is like. Remember, that's that's why he reveals himself with names, is to reveal his character and his nature. So God has bestowed on him the clearest revelation of the character and the nature of, of what God is like. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you're questioning, if you're doubting, if you're afraid, if you're experiencing loss, if you're in the fight for your life, look to Jesus the outstretched arm of God, the delivering arm of God. The right hand of God himself, the perfect revelation of the Father, Jesus himself, look to him. If you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to respond to the Lord. I know this is a different message because like I said, I wasn't planning on sharing this for you, so sharing this with you, so maybe it felt like it hadn't simmered enough in my heart, but I'm trusting the Lord that he is sufficient and he makes his word pierce hearts. It's the spirit of God that does the work, the supernatural work of revealing to human hearts what is needed at any moment. 
So I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as El Shaddai, the God who's mighty and powerful. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as Yahweh, the redeemer, God, deliverer. And ultimately, thank you for revealing to us the clearest revelation of what you are like through the person of Jesus. This morning, may it be medicine to souls that are maybe broken and crushed. May it be the confidence and the, the, the solid foundation that individuals need this morning to move forward another day with the joy of the Lord as their strength because their eyes are fixed on Jesus. eyes closed and just I, during worship I, I thought of this, this story in Matthew chapter 14 because it fits in so perfectly with Exodus chapter 6 Jesus miraculously appears to his disciples walking on water defying the natural order of things Peter, as he cries out to the Lord, he says, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And the Lord says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. I believe that's what I've experienced the last several weeks is these moments where you have this jolt with like the kind of the natural order of things, this jolt of trying to bring you down to the level of the curse and the natural order of things, not to the high plane of where the Lord is, the kingdom. If things that at times rattle you, that shake you, and that's what happened to Peter. He was literally defying the natural order of things by walking in water, but yet he looked to his left or his right and he saw the wind and the waves and he was afraid. That's what struck his heart. Cried and said, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. But what struck me, even as we worshiped, was the picture of, again, the outstretched arm of Jesus being the delivering hand of Jesus, the delivering hand of God to deliver us out of our doubt or our unbelief, or our moment of questioning, or our crushed spirit. So Lord, right now, I pray that you'd minister to every heart. Every heart that needs the courage to once again move forward with a clear, confident revelation of what you are like. I pray that they would grab a hold of your outstretched arm this morning. The outstretched hand of God made available to us through the person of Jesus. I pray that they would see that, that they grab a hold of it. That they take your invitation as deliverer, as redeemer. That they wouldn't harden their, their hearts, that they wouldn't 
harbor themselves in the fortress of their own crushed spirit, but instead they'd grab a hold of the outstretched arm of Christ, the outstretched arm of God as deliverer and as redeemer. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.